welcome to An Author Angle, the podcast series exploring creative expression and inspiration with authors, publishing professionals, and other creatives from all around the world. Listen up as host and publisher Ocean Reeve digs into the heart and heads of other creatives and the vision for their work. Be creative, be inspired, be published. An Author Angle, brought to you by Ocean Reeve Publishing. In this episode of The Author Angle, Ocean talks with Zena Shembri, author of Broken to be Beautiful and the Brave Little Bear series. Okay, so an author walks through the door. How are you? It's, I'm good. Good to see you. Yep, I was listening to Tim McGraw on the way up here, and that always puts a smile on my face. Hey, Zine, how are you? Hi, how you doing? What were you listening to precisely? The song? Can you remember it? Um, it was Tim and Faith, yeah? It was Tim and Faith. One was First. Is there a song called First or something like that? Sounds familiar, yeah. And there was one about, oh, and I don't know the name of it. It begins with T. Like Telluride. Yes, that's yep. what it is. Yes. Oh, look at that. I know the songs just you by do. saying the letter of it. <laughs> Didn't even have to tell you what it was about. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's showing a bit of a cult following now, isn't it? It it's, does, it's really. Not healthy. So let's talk about you. You've come in to have a chat to me about what you do, about your books, and, and you're one of the co-founders of At The Ark. I want you to tell me a bit about At The Ark. At the Ark. What is it? Why did you set it up? Okay, so At The Ark supports families whose children have been sexually abused and families that have been impacted by domestic violence. So we do this in different platforms. Um, we've got the um, our helping hands, which is where we come in, we support families practically and walk the journey. It's kind of like a, fe- a friend base um, journey, you know, where we'll literally hold their hands. We'll go to court with them. We'll go to reporting with them. We will see how we can help them along that journey. It might be giving them food vouchers. It might be going to do some shopping for them. It, it could be anything um, that they need and we will support them in any way. So then we also have our prevention, which is Brave Little Bear, which um, is three of my books and also a workshop for parents called Brave Little Bears, How Do We Protect Our Kids? And these books are to equip families with self-protective behaviours. You know, this is such an important life skill for us to teach our children. It'll protect them for the rest of their lives. And um, not just for sexual abuse, but for anything. And it's really important for us to be able to do that in a healthy way. And a lot of parents really struggle with having these awkward conversations. They'll talk about road safety quite easily, but talk about body safety and what could happen to them if they trust too too many adults mm, or they mm. trust the wrong adult, should I say, and um, they don't necessarily understand that, that all adults are okay and they don't understand that they can say no to an adult all in right. certain circumstances. So teaching these very basic things as adults we just take for granted that I can say no to another adult if I if they're coming into my personal space a child just accepts that um, and if we don't teach them anything different and I know that was part of my problem as a child so um, so that's our prevention program then we've got our education program which you know we've all heard the saying it takes a village to raise a child and um, but the problem is, is we don't know every member of that village, and not every member of that village understands the complexities of child sexual abuse or 
domestic violence or any other abuse really and what to do and the recovery pathways and how to support them and so we want to equip the village to raise children healthily. So that's a very, very quick synopsis about what we do. <laughs> pretty good, pretty concise. Uh, and, and as I'm listening to that, you know, you know that we've got a project going on at the moment and part proceeds of these sales are going to you guys. And yeah. part of the reason I, I wanted to do that was because I know you and Simon personally and I, I know what you're doing. I know the, the integrity you guys bring to families and to children, whatever stage, whether it's in the helping hands or the educational prevention. Um, what, what's the biggest issue we have as a community in regards to making some real headway here? Because I, I, through everything that I've been discovering over the past year or so, I just don't see as much as there needs to be. I know you guys are working your asses off, but as a community, what, what, what is it we need to do? I think do? a lot of it's denial. The stats are that one in three adults would not believe a child um, if they told them they'd been sexually abused. And out of that one in three, one in three of those would not know what to do. In right. fact, if you actually really cut down most of it, it's because they don't know what to do. Yeah. And so they'd rather ignore it and deny that it could possibly happen rather than actually doing something about it. I send emails to organizations saying, hey, can we come in, support you as an organization? Can we um, give you these free seminars and we'll work through these workshops with you and, and equip your village? And they'll say, no, no, that kind of stuff doesn't happen here. <laughs> uh, and you're like, are you kidding me, really? Because yeah. of course it does. Because the stats are one in five children will be sexually abused. So if you're looking at one in five children, that's 20% of our childhood population. But that means that there's a lot of adults out there too that have gone through it. Yeah. And so for people to be in that much denial is a huge issue. Yeah, I think the statistics are there of, of, of and, and we go back decades and we can see people yeah. that are coming out of this now. And, you know, n- nobody can really put their head in the sand and say that, that it's not as big and proliferant as it is, because it is. Mm. Um, I, I mean, w- we've spoken about marketing for authors and we'll get onto your books in a minute. We'll talk about that. And, you know, I, I'm very proactive in giving you guys the tools to go out there and market your books mm. and, and we market them to bookshops through our channels. Recently, I've been... Um, I've been made aware that there are certain bookshops that say books like yours yeah. are not. Oh, it's not. It's not for our store. Yeah. And this is mainstream booksellers. Yeah. And do you think that would be the, the for the same reason they don't want to? Absolutely. It, it's it's too confronting. It really, and it is. It is too confronting. We'll get back to that as I kind of stop seething right now. <laughs> uh, tell us about the Brave Little Beer series. What, are, what, are, what is this about and why did you decide to write books about this? Okay, so as I said earlier, they are to equip families with self-protective behaviour. So we have got three books mm. in this series. The first book is for three to seven-year-olds. It gently, gently introduces Brave Little Bear. It, um, it's all rhyming, so it's very sensitively written. It's not out there and really, you know, ex- explaining all sorts of things to a three-year-old that you don't really want a three-year-old to to be exposed to. So it's very gently written and just gently introduces the idea of self-protective behaviours and um, it talks about his story in in an inoffensive way. Right. You know, um, and then um, book two is for six to 12-year-olds. It talks about fear feelings, online safety, body consent, uh, the difference between secrets and surprises. It talks about um, 
a whole range of different topics along with with this that again are life skills that are so important for children to learn at an early age as soon as they're away from their protective mother or father or whoever they're with that are protecting them you you don't know what's going on mm. and so if we can equip our children and empower our children and we can make a difference so the last book is for adults and brave little bear wrote, writes again they're all rhyming it writes a very um i think a quite powerful message to adults um, about why it's so important to empower our children and um, it talks about what to do if they're if you suspect abuse and what to do how to protect children as well so it gives 10 tips at the back well why did you think books why did I think books? Well, why did you do books? I mean, why did like, I do books? Obviously, the education's really, um, you know, that, that's a necessary um, step, but why books? I think books are, all kids love to read books. When they're beginning to read, they love to open the pages. Even I've got a one-year-old grandchild and he loves to look at the pictures. He doesn't know what words are yet, but he, he looks at the pictures and we can make up stories around the pictures. And, and the visual and the... The hands-on feeling of a book, I think, is quite important. I love. I can read a book on a on a um, Kindle, but it's not the same mm. as actually holding the book, smelling the book, interacting with the book, highlighting the book, writing all my notes all over the book when I've found an awesome sentence or something. You know, you can interact physically with a book, but yeah. you can't. And so much, I don't think, with the TV or, or any other animation or no. any other resource, you know, I think a book is a really handy. I love books. So yeah. I have well, passion for books. <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that considering you're one of our authors. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, but I do know this for a fact that um, young children, usually under the age of seven or eight, um, if you were to put a iPad or a tablet in front of them with a book and then you were to give them a physical book, they'd grab the physical book yeah. every time because yeah. it, it is more tactile and, and the colours are more vibrant and there's just something about it. For Turning them. a page. Turning the page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, just, it carries much more weight. And I remember a story I, I about, oh, jeez, it was about the second year I was in Australia and I had a guy uh, ring me up who was wanting to talk about publishing and he said to me, oh, when are you going to close your door? Close your doors. And I went, what? He said, oh, yeah, no, your, your e-books are taken over. No one will be buying books anymore. And, you know, I was really polite to him, uh, you know, over the phone. In my head, not so much. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, that's never going to go away, is it? No, yeah. I can't imagine that. I went through a phase of looking at books online and looking at, you know, on my iPhone getting, oh, I can't remember the app now, but it's like a Kindle app. And, yep. and But they're not the same. I'm the same. I, I've got this, uh, I have downloaded a, a recent ebook that was of much interest to me. It was a pre-release and I thought, man, this is going to be great. I have not yet opened it. Yeah. And it's, part of it is because I'm half blind, so looking at a small device is a pain in the ass anyway. But I don't, I don't know, I might just go and buy the book. Yeah, yeah, I much prefer the actual book. You've explained your vision for uh, the Brave Little Bear series and, and, you know, obviously that education so important. How has the feedback been from families, from kids about those stories, about Brave Little Bear? Oh, do you know what? It's been amazing. I have had so many families who've just said this makes the oh, those uncomfortable conversations a lot more comfortable. You know, we, some people have used it for different things, not necessarily sexual abuse. So, so you, they find that their children will come out with things later saying, I feel like Brave Little Bear because because of this or because of that. And it'll be because of bullying or because of something else that's happening in their lives. But they're having those fear feelings that Brave Little Bear in Book 2 describes. And they can articulate 
a lot better than what they could have before. And so I've had a lot of really good feedback with it. They're in um, 15 different countries wow. that I know of. Of course, there might be more than that. Um, but that I know of, they're in 15 different countries. We've sold oh, over... Um, I can't remember we're how many copies thousands. now. We're well, well, we're over two, two, well, we're over two and a half thousand every year ago. Yeah. So it'd be more than that. Oh, absolutely. There's another, how many is out there that you've got to pick it's up another today? another thousand. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, no, it's, it's been huge. And it's been around for, I'm trying to remember now. 2016. Really? Mm. So five So years. that was the first book. Really? So, yeah. The, f- um, the first book came out in 2016. The second one, 2017. And the third one, 2018. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, I thought it was longer. <laughs> you thought it was longer? <laughs> I did, because I remember the first book, I, I didn't have Ocean Republishing then. No, you didn't, it was in-house, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 so yeah. it's like, because uh, I've had this place for, this is our fifth year. So no, it is, it, it, that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Well, you'd know, you're the author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know when it came out. Okay, Broken to Be Beautiful. Yeah. I want to talk about that. It's your autobiography, I want you to unpack yeah. it, I want you to tell me more about why you wrote this and th- that journey. So a little bit of my story is, is obviously the, the reason why I did, started at the Ark and I started Brave Little and I wrote Brave Little Bear. You know, it, it's, this is really the story behind that. And um, for me, I suppose in a, a long story short um, is I was sexually abused when I was 13. It led me on a, a path that I didn't choose. And I was abused then for the next 20 years by different men. I chose to get married at 19 to a man who I thought was a good guy. You know, you'd never marry a man and never fall in love with a man who you see have abusive tendencies. Although there were red flags and I didn't understand them at the time. I didn't... um, The the little things that I did recognise, I thought, ah, it's okay, I can change him. Once we're married, we can... Yeah, no, we'll work through that issue. Of course, those issues only got worse and bigger and his quirky, weird personality became abusive, controlling and... um, Dangerous. Dangerous, actually. Yeah, actually very dangerous. Um, 15 years later, after 15 affairs, four children, I realised that I was going to die either by his hands or my hands if I stayed in the relationship. If I left the relationship, there's a good chance he will try and kill me. Um, but at least I would die trying and I would have a chance of freedom and after coming millimeters to committing suicide I realized it was time to to do something serious and um, eventually we were able to, I was able to separate from him it was not easy um, I had to stick to a plan <laughs> had to keep it going even though sometimes it was really really hard and um, but eventually I did it I got free he still tried to control me he tried to control me through the children and I eventually got remarried and once my children felt safe my eldest daughter decided to disclose that since I'd left the family home whenever they went back to see him he would sexually abuse her. It turned out after police investigation that he sexually abused all four of my children. And uh, he ended up in prison. And Simon, my present husband, adopted them. And we he's Australian, my new husband, who is awesome. And I have to say that, he's standing right behind me. I, <laughs> I just, would say it anyway, to I be honest. I just had a look, he gave us a wave. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and so we came back to Australia. And that is a very long story short. That is... That is the 
crooks of the book. But the the reason why I wrote it is because, you know, there is hope. And I am now leading my best life. Good. I am, I'd say I'm whole and healed, but I'm, there's always a journey. And I'm, I am he- more healed than I've ever been right now. Mm. But, you know, I still got PTSD. I still have nightmares. I still have times when it's a really tough place to be in. And there's still a, a lot of healing to take place. There is a lot of abuse and the scars run deep and the wounds are very obvious at times. Did the, um, w- when it all came out about the kids and and it became a bit more public amongst the family, what did that do to the larger family, to the extended family? Was there a division? Was there, we said before that one in three, I think, don't believe the kids? Yeah. Um, there was... Happen? There was a lot of division. Um, so if you've got two sides of the family, my family actually believed my kids. All of my family did. They could see the results of his behavior in my life and the results of the way the children behaved. We all, we all believed them 100%, I had no doubt. The, um, his side of the family was very different. Mm. They disowned the family. Uh, they disowned their grandchildren. They said that... I put them up to it. I must be incredibly clever to fool everybody. Um, but apparently I, uh, that's how they saw it. Um, one member of the family, she, she knew, she knew. She couldn't say much. She couldn't do much because everybody else in the family had to support my ex-husband. Right. So, yeah, but there was a lot of division and the children lost half their family. Mm. You know, well, although they gained a ma- an amazing family as well because we're remarried by this stage. And, and Simon had kids. And so Simon's got kids and Simon's yep. got siblings as well. And yep. so they've got extra aunts and uncles and grandparents and, and that. Did, um, did, he admi- did he admit it? No. So how long did he stay in you know, that this is bullshit, this didn't happen? How long did that stay in? As far as I know, he's still saying it. He's still that. saying it, even yep. though a court found him guilty. Yeah. Right. And I guess that's the narcissism that comes with people like this, isn't yep. it? Right. Yep. The division that you hear about, and I mean, for me, I've seen and heard and read because I've published a lot of them over the last 20 years, so many stories like this. And I'm always a big fan of getting them out there in the public eye because I believe the more people know how much this happens, mm. maybe there'll be more and more people that will, will do something about it. Um, but the division is the one thing I'm seeing as a constant. That, that, that what it causes in families because of that, you know, I don't want to believe it's real. and, 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 and Who totally would want to believe their son could do that well, to their don't. grandchild? Like I'm thinking as a father, you know, I've got four kids and one of them's a boy and, and, and he's a good boy. And to, to th- oh, I just couldn't, you know, mm. it's so hard. Mm. But then there's the acceptance of the fact that if, if that was to happen, then itself is, is incredibly challenging, you know. I mean, yeah. you, you've got to support I'm, I'm looking at the perpetrator's family here. Yeah. You, you feel that you need to go to court and support your son and, you know, or whatever, your brother or whatever. Um, and I'm not excluding females from that. I know that they are guilty yeah. of this as well. Yep. Um, but there's got to be a part of you that must be tearing apart to have a family member do something like this. So I could imagine how difficult it would be to try and stay condensed as a family and w- and work together as a family to get I through I think it. it is possible um, if you you're not it? blinded. Have you seen families actually kind of come together and work their way through it together? Like getting the guy help or the girl help or whatever? Um, no, because I would not recommend the 
um, the perpetrator having part of the family, in being part of the family. But I, I have seen where the perpetrator's parents yeah. have supported their son, or it was their son, and also supported the grandchildren. Um, and said that they were going to be there to support their son because he is their son. And what, but what he's done is wrong. They've recognised all of that, um, but it's rare. Yeah, because it I, is so rare. I think there's a responsibility there. I mean, like uh, the, the, those parents that were supporting their son. I mean, uh, obviously the guy needs to be. He needs help as well. Yeah, he needs professional help. He needs to be held accountable. He needs to work through some sort of program or system where he can really kind of remove this part of him this this whatever it is yeah. that causes this and no i agree with you i don't think there's any logic in actually having them him still connected to the family that were yeah. a victim of this but then at the same time like you said if those parents were also saying to the to the kids that were of, of um abuse hey look we're still your grandparents and we yeah. still love you and um, we believe you yeah i mean because that's a huge thing and i know with my children and with me as a child actually that belief you don't believe that people are going to believe you mm. it's so weird you know you and 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 you you don't people don't want to believe it and so you think they're not going to believe me they're not going to believe is, me is that and what so you felt when you're 30? i definitely felt it um i he told me and that's part of of how a perpetrator grooms they tell you that no one will believe you. I'm a good, upstanding citizen. No one's going to believe me over, believe you over me. Surely you're just a naughty little kid. And um, I was then, for me personally, I was saying, you, it's going to split up your family. It's going to split up this. It's going to be splitting up that. And, and my whole community would have fallen apart because I would have disclosed. And so that held me in to a situation that really I should have been... I should have been free to be able to say to my parents, this person is doing this to me and and maybe they could have stopped it. Yeah. And they could have made me, made me or helped me to get help to not go down the path that I had actually, I went down. Which is, unfortunately, it's a common path when, when you've, you're yeah. a young person, you've gone through abuse, uh, you haven't said anything for whatever the reasons. And it makes sense psychologically how you spiral yeah. and repeat patterns. Yeah. And then you get into a point where suicide's a, a, a thought and possibly even more. And I think this is what I want people to, to hear to this is that, you know, if we aren't opening up the channels of communications for kids to actually speak freely and have this at least looked into and investigated, because I do know there are cases of kids saying things like this and it hasn't happened. Yeah. What, what's your experience there? Only 2% of children lie. And generally that is in a custody battle where one of the parents have encouraged the other child to. Um, and it's generally older children, not younger children. Okay, that's really good information to know, eh? Because this is another thing is that, you know, you, you when you hear about this, some family members or some close friends of the family will say, oh, she's lying. Yeah. And that's their own And it's they want attention. Have you yeah. seen that personality? She wants attention. She always wants attention. Yeah. The problem is the reason why she wants attention is because of the abuse in the first place. Yeah. There is a reason why a child responds in, in particular ways. You know, I don't like having these conversations and I really don't like talking about it, but I know there's a necessity to it. Yeah. And I'm a publisher 
and I'm a husband and a father and a friend. That's what I am. But I'm also a person that's now in a position where, you know, there's 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 a large part of the community that listens to me because of the creative expression element of it. Yeah. So I'm going to be a vocal dude on this. Awesome. Really vocal. That's what we need. Yeah. And We've got um, an awareness day called Make a Noise Day. Tell us and about that. And so our Make a Noise Day is literally, it's on job, in Child Protection Week on the 5th of September. Child Protection Week is always the first week of September. And um, we always try and do something, although last year was a bit of a... COVID. Yeah, COVID blip. But um, every other year we've done something over that week. And the whole point of it is to make a noise. Um, I came up with the byline, the silence is deafening. Because yeah, that's right. it is so... You can you can feel it. You can feel it around you. You know it's going on. I can see in people's eyes now exactly what I've recognised in my children's eyes, which I was so ill-equipped to deal with. Um, I was so broken. I had never taught my children self-protective behaviours because I didn't understand them myself. I was I was never taught them. You know, I'd never taught God body consent. How could I then teach my children body consent? You know, so the the. The silence around sexual abuse and domestic violence, and even though domestic violence is more spoken about nowadays, it's not quite as taboo as sexual abuse. But it is still hidden away. Yeah. You know, it's one in four women are murdered in Australia. How often? A week, sorry. In one a week. in four in a week? Yeah. See, this is... Oh, no. Sorry. That's wrong. <laughs> one woman a week. One woman a week. Yes. Okay, there we go. There so go. That makes sense. Yeah, okay. I was so just like, that doesn't so make 52 sense. 52 women in a year on average. On average. That's insane. That's and, madness. And worldwide, the stats don't really change. No. You know, they are, it's on a massive scale. I, If I had them on the top of my head, I would tell you them. But it was a few couple of years ago, they did this big study with women who'd been in a domestic violent relationship and how many died. And it was the most amazing worldwide study. It was crazy, the numbers of women. It was like something like, I'd like to say it was 35 women a day died worldwide from domestic violence, from intimate relationship violence. Um, but I can't, can't be sure on that. I, I remember when I was a kid, well, kid being teenager, and I'd kind of rebelled from, I'd just come out of school, I think I was 16, 17 at the time, and I had made friends with some, well, there was a group of flats down the road from where I lived. There's like 52 flats in this big apartment block. And it wasn't, it was cheap to live there. You pay 80 bucks a week. And that was, even back then, it was still pretty cheap. And we had a strong um, Maori contingent of people living in there. And I'm not, by no means, am I, am I labelling Maoris as the main perpetrator here. But I really loved the people I connected with. And there was, a, there was one guy there who became my mentor in a lot of things. And he was... He's just an incredible dude, and whenever I was having you know problems that, with mum and dad, or because I was yeah I was crossing over out of school at that point, he would just sit there and talk to me and listen to me. But he also would bash his wife in front of me, mm. and at first, obviously I was shocked by it because I come from a, a background white picket fence, all New Zealand like all American happy days thing. My mum is literally like Marion Cunningham; she's <laughs> that that sort of woman. Um, and what so, an awesome woman. Yeah, she's, she is. She can get on your nerves a little bit, eh, Mum? But, you know, she I, I've never experienced um, domestic violence on that level. And so I was a bit surprised. And this is embarrassing for me to say, but because I was in that environment 
regularly, it became normal. That's a problem. And I yeah. actually couldn't see that it was, hold on a minute, this is really wrong. You become desensitised yeah. to what you're exposed to. And so at first something might be horrific and then you slowly, and, and if you think about how, sometimes how, say, it happens, how, how a really beautiful person can actually turn into a perpetrator. You know, you think of stress um, and all the other elements that can follow around a family and everything else. And eventually, you know, if you've got uh, someone who's been out of work, who's been, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it's... But external this pressures. Is, this is the problem, no. you know, um, people in a e- socio-economic no. I mean, place. Uh, uh, you know, you know right. the, you've got to... There is external pressures that, that can cause a person to not react in the way that they would morally react in a normal situation. And sometimes they actually just need help and they're not a narcissist, they're not. They may have traits, mm. but they actually just got themselves in a big rut and they really need help. And I think we've got to be a balance here as well. Um, I don't think every, every man that is hit out once or either verbally or any other way necessarily is a narcissist and, no. and is a wife beater at all times no. but if it becomes a constant thing i mean if anybody hit me once that would be it they'd be out yeah. i would not stand for it not now um but you know you've got to you've got to weigh that up as well the external pressures of life in in this environment is is yeah. tough but they need to be held accountable they need Absolutely. to Get cha- they need to get help and change back to who they actually are and, and be be in a better place. Saying that, I do want to say this is a human issue and not a woman issue. No. I, it, not all men, not all, all perpetrators are men. I can, you I, know, I'm, I'm there ex- is a lot of women perpetrators aware. as well. And, and we have to be careful um, to point that out because a lot of people bag men and say, you know, men need to respect women. Yes, they do. Absolutely. That's a huge problem. It's a lot worse. And the stats show that they're a lot worse for women. But on the other side of that, you know, we have to say there are also stats for women. Yeah. And, and for emotional abuse, they're actually not too far apart. One in four women, one in f- one in six men. It's good that you so did that because I think there, there d- it does need to be explained that this this is a social issue. It's not segregated to yep. one sex in, in particular. That's right. Um, whether it be violence or, or sex abuse or emotional abuse, this is a shared issue that we as a community need to take responsibility yep. for. And if we're ever going to evolve into the next generation or the next part of our, our cycle as humans and, and on this planet... and we need to learn really what respect means because I th- I think so. we've got it wrong so far yeah. and we've been, what, 2021 and we still haven't got it right? I mean, it, it's frustrating. I am not sitting here on a holy horse saying I'm perfect. Believe me, I'm not. I've come from a background as well where I'm, I haven't obviously been sitting on that side. I've been more of an aggressor. But I've learned over time that that does not serve me. Yeah. I don't think even being that person that you know is going to be violent to somebody. I've never had a woman, but I was I was in a gang, and I know what it was like to be violent to people. It never served me. Mm. And then realizing old, later in life what that potentially did to that person that I may have hurt that day, you know, I got a great, a much better understanding of what that what that could have been like, and yeah. and the the shame that I felt when I realized that was intense. 
the choices we make, Zing. Yeah, it really is. And I know, I know somebody who, when I met this this couple, he was the most gentle, laid back. In fact, he was almost walked over by his wife. Okay, he was this incredibly gentle dude and simon's sitting there thinking i know who that is and and he he's was playing candy crush actually saying what actually, you that doesn't like surprise that? me <laughs> carry, carry on yeah but <laughs> <laughs> but we um uh, we went when we met this guy he was nothing and then his wife told us stories about how aggressive he used to and he used to beat her up and he got help right he yeah. recognised that his behaviour was wrong. He's got help and he is Good for him, man. so completely different. You would not know. And when people say, oh, yeah, but they never change. That's bullshit. I know people that have changed. I've changed. If you knew me in 2005, you would not recognise the mess that I was way back then to who I am now. I think, like, let, let's just look at you and me. We've known each other about six years now. Yeah. And when we met each other, we were in a certain space, whatever, good, bad, whatever, and different. Yeah. We've changed over the last six years. We have. And, you we know, have. I mean, that's life. You're supposed to change. How big those changes are going to be. Are down to our choices. That's exactly right. That's exactly mm. right. Okay, well, um, we're going to keep talking because I've got lots of questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> But um, we obviously—I've always done this. So it just opens up the conversation, and we and you let it flow because that's mm. where the best stuff come from comes from. Um, what is something that becoming an author has done that you didn't expect? Given me the most amazing confidence that I never thought I'd ever have. Wow! Although, when I brought my book out, I wasn't expecting for the um, the vulnerability or how vulnerable it made me. Right. I suddenly had this bit of a, a crash last it came out in 2019 in February 2019 September 2019 I had a bit of a crash mm. and I think a lot of it was because I suddenly became very vulnerable I was letting my story out and however I know my story is is one to tell I've had you know my books have been incredibly well received and mm. the comments I get and the reviews I get have been quite amazing um, but it made me feel very vulnerable. I have probably, and I never disclosed everything in my book. I only scratched the surface, but even what I have exposed has made me very vulnerable. And so that I wasn't expecting. Well, I mean, you're the, you're the mother of brave little bear and you've got to show bravery and courage. And I guess you've done that with your book and yeah, okay, maybe you didn't expect that to come, but I mean, a lot of people are going to look at that courage and go and, and understand why you would feel that way because, you know, the mission is greater, isn't mm. it? Actually, um, when I, after I, this the whole time, I actually pro had to process, um, I felt a failure to my children um, because I couldn't have given what I can give ch children now, I couldn't have given to my children way back then. That makes and sense. I felt like um, a bit of a failure. And I had to work through that process or work through that think that think way of thinking to to just come out the other side and say, okay, I didn't have those skills now, then, but I do now and now I can pass them on. You know, this isn't a question I actually had down here for you because um, I, I already know the answer. Um, which was, you know, if you were to look back at younger, se uh, younger self with what you know now, what would you do? And I think I know where that would go. Um, but that's kind of the response I wanted to give to you with what you just said is that you didn't know what no. you know now. No, and if you right. did know that, 
then certain things would have changed. Oh, but absolutely. Because you know that you know, you've worked in the space with at the arc and, and you and Simon do so much work, it's basically your life now, where you are helping these families, you see these things. So, you know, it, it is what it is now. Um, is it look, looking at writing? I mean, I know the story of bringing your autobiography out, and I think it's a crack up story. Um, if you want, we won't go into the story. You can go and watch Zine's video on her website, which I'll give you shortly, um, because we talked about it at the interview. Remember? Um, but when you were writing, like, tell us about that, because you were writing at Strange Hours of the Night, and you know, you, how did you find that process of being able to bring that all out? Oh, you know, I started in 2012. Um, people kept telling me, when are you going to bring your story out? It's an amazing story. You need to start um, writing it down and bringing it out to life. And I, and I fought it for a while. And eventually I thought, well, I'll just write a few things down and see where it goes. It, it wasn't necessarily going to be a book, but it was just ramblings. Um, but every time I did it, something would come up that I would have to deal with. And I found that... It was exhausting. I needed to be on my game for the families that I was helping and I couldn't be when I was writing my book. And so it was this really long, hard process. Um, Until Simon, Andy Cullen and myself kind of called you to action, which you loved so much, Zane. I did. I and did. then, boom, <laughs> you were into it and you did make that hard commitment. So the first half of the book took from 2012 um, to 2018. The second half of that book took from um, uh, end of August 2018 to middle of September. Wow. Took two weeks. <laughs> that second half of that book. I mean, of course, there was all the editing and everything else yeah, that yeah, followed. Yeah. Um, and there were a few things that needed to change in it, et cetera, et cetera. But on the whole, um, that tough bit had done. And that second half of that book came, flowed so much easier um, than the first half. Wow. But I think I was just ready yeah. at that stage. Um, and you guys just pushed me that one step further to push. come on, get it finished. <laughs> kind a bit of more than a push. I but think okay. it was a more of a kick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's the best tip you can give others now that you've got, you've got three children's book, you've got your own autobiography that was written in two parts very differently from each other. What tips would you give to somebody thinking about writing their story, specifically if it's about something of a sensitive nature? Just write it down. Just start yeah. writing. It doesn't matter. The, it doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about chapters. You don't have to worry about um, that. Can all come later. Yeah. Just get it down on paper. Just get your thoughts out of your head and stick them on the paper, and then you can work it out from there. Hundred percent agree with that. I think that's the best way to write is just flow, let it flow. Worry about the the intricacies of it later, and just yeah, get it out there. Make sense, people. Make sense. What inspires you, Zane? Q. <laughs> me? <laughs> oh, sometimes no. It's yeah. Well, yes, you do actually. You do inspire well, me. You. you give me the. You definitely make me want to be better because you're always saying, "Come on, Zina, you can do this. You can do this. It's easy for you. You can get up and stand up in front of two thousand people. You can. You can do this. This is fine. You know." And so you always push me a bit and my husband he inspires me because he always sees the best in me and he's and a bit of a legend isn't he he is a bit Don't, of a legend we won't tell him that <laughs> he knows he is i do tell him quite often <laughs> he's too busy playing candy crush right now so you know um take on board obviously what we've been talking about today but just in life in general so i want to go, go 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 a bit more general here yeah what, what is the greatest thing you've learned in life to date you know, as as a woman, as a as a wife, as a mum, as a friend, what what what's the thing that you would be authentic? Authenticity. 
yeah, be yourself. You don't have to be anybody else. You don't have to compete with anybody else. You have the most amazing job that is planned out for you. Yeah, so as you. So you live you, the best that you can be. I was listening to a podcast on the way to work at a couple of days ago and um, I can't remember who it was, but there's a statement in there going, you will never be the best copycat in the world. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I thought, man, that's good. That's that really, really good. is good. Yeah, you can use that Zine. It's Thanks. Okay. Thanks, yeah. I might. It's not mine, so I can't <laughs> copyright it. Um, let's dig a bit more into Zine. Like we, we had a bit of a giggle at the start of this because Tim McGraw came up and, and we're never going to ignore that. Um, but, you know, tell us about the music you listen to. What is it that you love? What song really gets you dancing around the kitchen when you're, when you're working and doing the dishes or so whatever? What is it that you love listening to? I actually really, I like, we were actually discussing this on the way. I like so much, so much different music. You know, I could go from a classical piece to a country piece to a... Where a heavy, re- heavy metal <laughs> piece, metal, really, um, and all in the same. You like listening to Pantera does not <laughs> register with me, but okay. <laughs> no, right. actually, I don't like them. There's, <laughs> there are a few different bands that I, I don't mind listening to, but I, I can't say I can put down any particular artist or song. artist yeah. or song, but I. Do I'm a, I've got a really deep faith. I've got a you know obviously we're pastors and we we have a deep faith and and I can there are certain spiritual worship songs that will come on that just gets me every time nice. and and some of them are probably my go-to when I'm feeling upset or when I'm feeling you know there are t- there are so- particular songs in that genre that just brings me into a better headspace is there, is there any songs that you listen to that remind you of Simon yes tell me uh-huh. there's a song and it's <laughs> called in from from Maroon 5 oh yes called Sunday Morning yes and I used to have it as my ringtone when when we were first married. We he used to sing it to me, um, and really? on his fiftieth birthday, he sang it to me in front of everybody and with a with a band. Uh, <laughs> you should see Ocean's face now. Yeah, I'm looking at Simon. Going, <laughs> He's got a good voice. <laughs> oh, we're finding the secrets out here. <laughs> oh, and yes, so cool. that song always as soon as it comes on, that kind of takes me back. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And this is why I, I always like talking about music as part of the creative chat because for me, music is the soundtrack to life. And, and I mean, my life is basically a, a many, many soundtracks that you, <laughs> you could download off Spotify. <laughs> and, and I even wrote a book to a, to music, you know, and, and made note of all the tracks that I listened to. And I think it's such an important part of, of establishing our life journey. I think it know. feeds our soul. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I guess that's why I just love country music so much. And I, I, I do like sharing that with Vicky Jane, even though she is, is kind of sick and tired of Tim McGraw. <laughs> um, I don't know how you can quite be sick and tired of Tim McGraw. He's pretty... pretty Did you hear that, there. Vicky Jane? I know you're listening. Yeah, <laughs> all right, make a note. Dean says you cannot get sick of Tim McGraw. Um, you'll probably get a text message as I soon know, as she I think probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if there were no barriers or constraints, financial or otherwise, what would you be doing right now? Oh my goodness, that's huge. I love to travel. I love to share what I do and um, make a noise about what I do and make a song and dance about what I do. Um, So if I I had no constraints whatsoever, I would probably 
pay for some people to help me run out the ark because yep. <laughs> at the moment it's all voluntary and it's very limited resources um, and I would probably do a lot more ambassadoring is that the word I don't even know we, what the we word know is. what you mean but you yep. know being an ambassador for at the ark and going out and really making a noise about it um, doing more workshops promoting brave little bear and my book more mm. um, because it's so important to get this out there you know my all four of those books are literally to educate and equip and to people to see that there is a different way here of of coping with these things that are going on in our world that we just want to ignore and stick ahead in the sand. Mm, that's nice. I, I knew that was where you were going to go with this. And I think that the Brave Little Bear series needs to be in every uh, primary school. But that's my... Your... your B, what was it B-hack. you called it? B-hack, that's it. <laughs> Big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> that is to get my books into every classroom in Australia, every um, primary school classroom in Australia. I want to get a set of them in there. That will happen, and your autobiography needs to be in every high school. Oh, I agree. Mm. <laughs> well, that will be a mission for 2021. Uh, best compliment you've ever received? Oh. Hey. That's really hard. <laughs> I'm not here to ask easy questions. What day is it, oh Zane? My, what day is it? Um, uh... Actually, I am quite. That's a genuine question. I it is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Um, <laughs> it's so busy at the moment. I'm not sure if it's Monday or Friday. Oh, it's Wednesday. <laughs> and on this Wednesday, I want to know the best compliment you ever received. Oh, gosh, that's so hard. I think it's. Um, I think it's every day when my husband wakes up and says to me, "Good morning, beautiful," or, or, um, "I love you more today than I did yesterday." I think so, because to me, that's where it all begins and ends for me. You two are like a couple of teenagers. Yeah, of course we are. Yeah, We've been married 14 years this year. Wow. Or 15 years this year, actually. We're on our 14th, we just had our 14th wedding anniversary. And we love each other more now than we ever did before. The more we get to know each other, the more we love each other. That's so good. And, uh, And I've got the same thing with Vicky Jane, and I've got this new one I've been using this week. I um <laughs> I, s- I look at it. I point and I go, "Stay pretty." <laughs> and uh, this morning, uh, she was messaging me about something, and she, uh, she said good morning to me and love me and stuff. And I said, "Love you too." And just remember, and she thought I was going to go, "Stay pretty," and I went, "Tim loves you too." And I put a picture <laughs> of Tim um, I want to talk about. I'm not going to go into great detail about this. I'm basically going to wrap this um this podcast up with with. Uh, talking about the community thing that you mentioned before. We've got an event coming up very soon, and and as I mentioned earlier, um, proceeds of what we're doing with book sales are going to be going to you guys to help give you the more resources and more Thank funds. Thank you very much. We're very honoured. And You're welcome, and there would be no better cause that I could ever think of that this company can support than what you guys do. And Thank it'll you. always be number one priority for us. Thank you. I have chosen speakers that have come from various levels of expertise and as I was looking at the like this is before I sent out the invites to everybody and, and let them know and as I was looking at the faces of all of you guys because you, you know you guys are going to be there you're going to be speaking and I said there it is how easy was it for me just to grab bump there's six people and I could imagine every one of these people's expertise being the perfect community support to help others that are going through this and what it identified to me is that this is not hard for people to come together and say, okay, let's do something to help kids that have gone through sex abuse and, go, and, and any mm. abuse, really. 
And I wanted to just specifically say this at the end of the podcast so that if you, you know, you guys are listening out there, you think of the people you know, you think of the people that you work with, you think about just one little step or one little um, sign of support to places like at the Ark, um, it is not hard. It is not hard to do it. No, hey. no it's not hard to do it. Um, it doesn't take a lot to equip yourself, become more aware become more vigilant um, and that's just the basics of of lo- being out there looking at at the world around them one in five children you think of one you think of five children that you know and love and everybody knows five children statistically one of those will be sexually abused so you know it's not hard it's yeah. not hard to see the effects of this stuff that's the que- that's the statement you think about one in five, and so many people out there right now are going, no, I don't want to. No, 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 you're going to think about it. Think about one in five of the kids you know. Because yep. it's that thinking about it that's going to make you go, yeah, I'm not good with this. Yeah. At thearc.org.au. That's the next place you go. All right, yep. guys? All right, so your website, Zing. Got it. I have to. You do. Because I'm greedy. <laughs> All right, so at thearc.org.au is the easy one. You're going to spell the next one. <laughs> yeah, it's X E N I A S C H E M B R I Zena com. And that is her author website where you can go and find more out about Zine. And at the Arc, where you can go and check out what wonderful things these guys do to support the communities and the families that are out there. Please go and check them out, guys. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on The Author. Thank you. You have been listening to An Author Angle, brought to you by Ocean Reef Publishing, bringing stories to life. www.oceanreefpublishing.com